Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy Collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Katie's Crib. In this episode, we are talking about babies and sleep. Sleep training, scheduling, on demand. We are going to investigate this big and for a lot of people, a very controversial subject. We have here a friend of mine by the name of Susie Menkes, and she works with a company that she started called Healthy Little Sleepers here in Los Angeles. She's the founder, and she's going to talk to us about sleep training. Hi, Susie. Hi. I'm so happy to have you here. So happy to be here. Thank you for um, sharing your knowledge with us. Mm-hmm. Um, I never heard about sleep training. I never knew what it was. And then I had a baby and then it was all of a sudden all everybody was talking about. Can you walk us through the very simple question of what is sleep training? What is sleep training? Such a good question Um, because oftentimes people don't know about it until you actually have a baby. And there's this thing, sleep training, you have to train your baby to sleep. Um, So it's basically just making changes in your baby's sleep habits so that they can learn to self-soothe. So a lot of times we come home from the hospital, they're newborn, Mm -hmm. we're there for them. We're doing it for them. Sure. Um, But at some point, and it's typically around four months of age, is when their circadian rhythms start coming into play. What's that? um, Basically (laughs) their their What is that word? Circadian rhythms. You're smart. (laughs) Circadian rhythms, okay. It's their sleep rhythms. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's set by the rising and setting of the sun. And so that's where you get kind of those sleep schedules that people talk about, that nine and one nap and things like that. Sure. Um, But really what happens is at four months of age is they've become already accustomed to some associations to sleep. 
So whether you're nursing them to sleep, whether you're rocking them to sleep, whether they're in a, a dark stroller, room, dark room, there's the a go, sound machine on, all of it. So there's associations of all involved with sleeping that they may need to unlearn sure. and learn to self-soothe. Right. And so that's where we come in and try to do sleep learning for them. And by self-soothing, to clarify that, you mean like the baby, he or she has her own tools to put her or himself to sleep. Right. So sleep is a science, right? So mm -hmm. it's a balancing of hormones. Uh, melatonin is a sleep hormone that we produce. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't really start producing it until we're three, four months of age. So that's where you get that day-night confusion before that they're up during Yeah, the night. guys, in case you didn't know or you were freaking out, babies come out and they lived in a dark place for 10 months and then all of a sudden we're telling them like, oh, the sun's down, the sun's up, but they have no idea. And a lot of babies, even when they first come out, which I didn't know until I was going through it myself, it's reversed. Right. So they could be up for some reason, wow, they are napping the hell out of this day. But at nighttime, it's like the most energy you've ever seen. Right. And it's because, un like you're saying, until month three or four, they don't know, they don't go by the sun yet. They right. don't go they by don't our normal. They don't have those rhythms yet. They don't produce melatonin. The one thing that we do is produce melatonin. And right. so melatonin in our breast milk is actually highest in the evenings. So if you are nursing, you have that benefit to give them nighttime breast what? milk. I am the night. mind blown right now. I, again, oh God, I, I love Katie's crib selfishly because <laughs> I get lessons like in motherhood on the regular, which is so great. Um, wow, okay. Why do you think sleep training is such a controversial and heated topic amongst parents? It is. It's often misguided sometimes by um, like a fear tactic. Don't let your baby cry. Mm -hmm. um, and there is that kind of almost like breastfeeding yeah. there's that controversy of yeah, to sure. breastfeed or not to breastfeed yeah pressure and stigmas attached judgment and, yeah like this makes you, let, you a good mom this makes you a bad mom sure and sure. if you're gonna let your baby cry you're harming your baby right, right. there's a level of stress that's involved in learning a new tactic but the american academy of pediatrics is something that we follow as sleep consultants. And they actually put a framework together of stress that's really a good guideline to think about stress and what you are doing or not doing for your baby, right? So there's a positive stress response, which is a typical frustration, struggling, starting daycare. All those are typical stress responses. Mm -hmm. There's a tolerable stress response, which is more of something that's not everyday, maybe a divorce, a death in the family. Mm -hmm. And then there's toxic stress response where um, you don't have a loving caregiver, there's abuse, there's neglect Oof, involved, right? So those are the love, that toxic level is what we're talking about being harmful and damaging to the brain. Sure. That's not what sleep training is about, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, and plus, You're not equating sleep training with abuse, right? right okay, right. okay. So that's where this kind of misguided information comes from of sleep training is involved with levels of stress. Yes, they're learning a new habit. And it's hard for any of us to change something. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's kind of dealing with that. You have a stable environment. You have a loving caregiver to help you cope through that stress, right? We don't say, here, go, go learn how to sleep and walk away, right? One, we do it for them first. Mm -hmm. We do it with them. Mm -hmm. We watch them do it, and then they do it on their own. Whoa, guys. That was just like a real <laughs> smackdown. Yeah, I, I definitely personally had, you know, I went back to work when Albie was seven weeks old. And for me, sleep was literally like a, a number one priority list because I couldn't memorize my lines, show up at work, 
look remotely like I was the same person and not like a garbage bag um, and not get my sleep. And so I remember the first times I, you know, was told it's okay to let him make annoyed kind of cryy ah, 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 sounds for two, three minutes. Wait a minute. Let's see what he does. And he's going to start to teach himself, find his thumb, or if you're a pacifier person or whatever it is, find tools with which to put himself to sleep. And I did have those thoughts for a minute of like, am I subconsciously damaging my baby that he's going to be in therapy for a million years because of me because I let him cry for three minutes? And you're saying that is a stress that is not damaging. No. Plus, he's in a stable environment. Yes. Oh, I was watching that monitor like a hawk <laughs> and counting down the right? seconds. And you're there when he wakes up. Of course. And you're there to feed him, of to course. love him, of to course. play with him. Yeah. You know, he's in that environment. He is, you're building that secure attachment in those first four, four to six months. So that's what you're doing. Oh, it's, it's good to hear that I and, haven't and damaged him in that And I think there's also controversy. <laughs> right. And I think there's also controversy in that if you do sleep train around four, between four and six months, that there is that stigma of um that you're harming your baby yeah it's too soon he's not enough weight what do you say about those sort of situations is Um, there a set rule of when how how much weight all these things and again i don't really know what i'm talking about these are like literally rumors that have flown into my head yes from other pd i always say go by your pediatrician where are they on the spectrum Mm -hmm. in terms of weight wise are they in 50 percent? are they gaining weight um, you know, if they're born early, sometimes you have to wait a bit longer because you really want to go by their developmental age, which sure. is based on their due date, not when they're born. Right. Um, so if they're early, you might have to wait another two weeks or three weeks. Sure. Um, pediatricians often have kind of a 14 pound rule. Mm-hmm. Um, if I get a client with a 12, 13 pound baby, but they're feeding well, they're gaining weight, I'm not going to turn them away. Um, because they are developmentally ready. They are producing melatonin. They are, their circadian rhythms are in place. They do have social smiles, um, which develop around six to eight weeks of age, which Mm. is a prime example of when to set routines in place. Mm. Because social smiles is a connection. They are making connections and associations. Mm, interesting. Can you um, talk to us about some of the different methods of sleep training that parents use? Is there a particular one that you recommend? Does it depend on the baby and the issue at hand? Um, so there's no one particular method that I use. I often take a look at the baby and, you know, the parent is the expert on their baby. So I get a lot of information from the parents, um, their age, what's been going on before, anything has been tried before, how long have they tried it. Um, I've been trained by the Family Sleep Institute, which doesn't uh, have one particular method that they, we're trained in all of them. Okay. Um, and it's sometimes a combination of them. There's a Ferber method, which is like a check and console. There is the sleep wave by Kim West, I believe. Mm-hmm. There is Cry It Out, which is extinction, where it's a true cry it out. You put your baby in your bed, in their crib, you leave the room, you come back the next morning. Um, assuming, assuming there's no night feeds. Wow, assuming that is hardcore. No which and you still can do sleep training with a night feed. Um, and that's the one that moms say, like, they did that for two or three nights and then they never did it again. Like, is that true? I didn't have to do that. So I don't know if I would even be built of the stuff that could do it. It's not for the faint of heart. Like it's, <laughs> it's, I did it. Wow. With my first. Wow. Um, how many nights did it take? Two. And how long was the crying? Do you know? Or did 30 you just minutes. Try? No, I opened oh. a bottle of wine and I cried and watched the monitor and in 30 minutes he was asleep. Wow. 
The next night it was like maybe 10 minutes. Okay, so that's the cried out method. What's the verber? Verber. Ferber method. What yes. is that? So that is a check and console. So you put your baby down to sleep. He starts crying. Five minutes, you go and check on him. You don't pick him up or her up. Um, you say a little, it's okay, we're here, it's time to sleep, and you leave the room. Okay. And then you can wait 10 minutes, and then you go in after 10, I mean, it can be another five, you can do a right, variety of... Right, you do a couple of... nights of like going in every five minutes and just using your voice and your presence mm -hmm. to console them, but you don't touch them, mm -hmm. and then the next two nights or whatever it is that's comfortable for you, then you might extend to, you wait 10 minutes before you go in the room. Exactly. I have a friend that did that. Exactly. And then what's the other method that you said? There's a chair method. What's which is that? a little bit more gentle approach. So you're in the room with them. Um, it takes a little bit longer in terms of, you know, getting out of the room and being able. So you start next to the crib. In a your chair. Your baby's crying. In a chair or on the floor. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like the chair method. Right. Um, and you're there. You can, first couple days, you can use your hands on them, but you don't want any, like, any other rhythm involved because you don't want to start another association for them to get attached to. So you keep it minimal interaction, but you're there for them. And when they fall asleep, you leave the room. When they cry again, you come back into that position and you do the same thing Whoa. without picking your baby up. Wow. And, and then you slowly move the next two days. You're maybe in the middle of the room. Then you're not doing touching. It's just your voice. The next two days you move again and maybe you're three quarters of the way to the room. Then you're wow. at the door. Then you're outside the door. And then, and then you're kind of over. like slowly. Mm -hmm. Slowly introducing that they are safe in this space, that you are here yep. until I'm not here physically, but, but I am here. You can hear me. But I am here. Mm -hmm. Whoa, that's, this is all, God, motherhood, you got to be a beast. Like, this is so, so fascinating. Um, do you have any advice for what parents can say when, I don't know, I, I do feel like this is like breastfeeding, like you brought it up already. It's just a very judgy topic. Mm -hmm. um, I can remember very early on, like, my baby was sleeping through the night at eight weeks. Or like the other version, which is like, Oh my gosh, I, I honestly do not believe in sleep training until they are six months of age and 15 pounds and that is cruel to be doing. I've heard all sides of the spectrum and people are not afraid to give their opinion and their advice. So what would you suggest for parents that are, I don't know, might have, that are picking whatever it is they're picking and how to stick with it or? I think finding the support, um, whether Ooh. it's their husband, their friend, their family. Sometimes family has different opinions though. Um, I've had clients who are like, I didn't tell my mom I was doing this or my dad I was doing this and there's the mom and dad calling and I'm at their house and they're not picking up and then she's saying, oh shoot, my sister probably told them and that's why they're calling, you know, they know you're here. Wow. Um, so they got to find where they can find that support. Sure. And sometimes that's me. Right. Um, I work with families on a two-week period when they hire me. So I'm there for them for two oh, weeks. Oh, so that's how it works the... with a sleep consultant. You mm -hmm. get hired for a two-week period and you work with that family closely and hopefully in that two weeks you see a bunch of improvement as exactly. far as sleep is concerned. Exactly. Yeah, I have to say sleeping, even to this day, is a, is probably the only really touchy subject where Adam and I, my husband and I, we really sometimes butt heads, which is mm -hmm. when we put the baby down and he's making fussy sounds, um, it's like someone screaming in my head. Like, it's so loud to me that I'm not going in there and the seconds go by like years mm -hmm. and my husband just has a way higher threshold for like, it's only been 15 minutes. He's going to put himself down. He always does. He does it every night. He's going to put himself down. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Tonight is different. It sounds different. It's just, it's just taking forever. And, and 
to be clear, he's going, ah, ah, ah. He's not screaming, crying at all. Right. He's either has gas or he's like getting tired and expressing himself. Right. But um, I have to say, even to this day, that that is a husband-wife dilemma for Absolutely. me, for our family. Absolutely. And I work with families, couples, couples that way others, because there partners. are differing opinions about what to do and kind of coming to an agreement and a middle ground and having that plan yeah, and being able to have that plan for both of them to work off of and on caregivers too. So you're like a therapist too. (laughs) You're like the middle man. Yes. The middle woman. Um, So at what age would you say a sleep routine is established? Um, So I touched on this earlier, around six to eight weeks. Wow. Um, just a routine. Right. Not sleep training. Not, right. We're not trying to get them to sleep on their own. Um, but they are, when you see social smiles, they are making connections. So when you put those pre-bedtime routines in place, it's their sense of routine and structure that sleep is around the corner. Right. And that's when and I they, was told, like, a, this is when you might introduce a bath routine and then, like, a song or a book or the lights change or the white noise sound comes up. But you get into this, like sort of ritual routine that they can associate with now I'm going to sleep for the night. Right. And 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 naps too. You can do a shortened version for naps. I do. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it helps oh helps increase that melatonin levels because their bodies and their mind are already getting ready for sleep because those routines are starting and so that melatonin is starting to get produced. Great. Um is it ever too late to start? Like do you ever get phone calls from babies that are are not sleeping through the night? at one and a half, two. Yeah. Oh, it's God. never too late. It's it's a lot easier when you start early because you just have certain pattern, patterns and rhythms right. um, that are in place. Sure. Um, so when you start sleep training a little bit later, um, there's just an, a, a, a little bit bigger of an adjustment. Right. Um, maybe a little bit more protest because they're verbal. Um, so you put... <laughs> oh my God, I can't even know. imagine. So... What are the benefits of sleep training and you know if i was playing devil's advocate here are there benefits to just reading the baby's cues and just letting the baby sleep when they're ready sure. that's probably like nails on a chalkboard to you but but no, explain no i mean for our listeners and viewers who are like truly because there are so many stigmas attached like, sure so sleep training is important both for the parents and for the child because sleep deprivation is hard on us we can't function as well we're going to fight more with our partner we're going to be testy during the day. We won't remember things as well. We don't already already yeah. have pregnancy brain. Mom like it's going to be like brain. Mom yes. brain, not yeah. pregnancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, same thing. It's um, yeah, it continues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, and what happens in sleep, especially in the first four to five hours of sleep, um, is non-REM sleep. It's the most important sleep we get. It's when our brain shrinks and our toxins are flushed out. So that sleep is most important to get consolidated, which is get them to sleep from like 7 to 12. And then that's when we say, if you're still having a feeding at night, have it after midnight. Whoa. Okay, I was doing that in the early days. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So sleep training, you would say, is so beneficial because it's important to get them to have quality, uninterrupted sleep. That's where their brain develops and Mm -hmm. also so that we don't just jump off a crazy drain of insanity because it's just so hard to be I mean I've never been so sleep deprived my whole life I thought no. I was gonna lose my mind yeah um and on the flip side mm-hmm. right do just following your baby's cues yes right yes so that works great if you have a flexible sleeper 
and sometimes you just fall naturally into that pattern. Mm. And that's when you get like, oh yeah, my baby's sleeping at eight weeks. You're like, great, you have a unicorn baby. Thanks a lot, you know? <laughs> right, right. Um, but it goes hand in hand, right? So the parenting style and the baby's flexibility just matched up and they got into a good rhythm. Right. Um, and it just, it happens naturally. And so they're able to follow those baby's cues. Sometimes babies have colic. Sometimes they have reflux. Sometimes the parents are working. So there's a lot of other things juggling and to follow your baby's cues um, necessarily doesn't always work. Yeah, that was a... yeah, that was my case. Like I remember going back at seven weeks to work and emailing my nursing schedule to Carrie Washington, where because she was the director of the episode, and I had to feed Albie at six, nine, twelve, three, six, and I had to know that he was going to be waking up from his nap at that time. That I was going to be allowed to go back to my trailer at that time to feed my kid. So for me, it really helped knowing that he naps from 8.30 to 10 in the morning, at 10 I feed him, then he naps again from 11.30 to one, at one I feed him, and then he napped again. So in the morning, you know, so the early stages, it was very helpful. Now it's funny that I find that I'm off and he's in a routine already, his naps are sort of changing, and I've become far more flexible in sort of experimenting, like not waking him up from a nap and seeing how long he goes, because I think he's trying to tell me something that his naps are Maybe we're going to drop a nap. Maybe one, you know, we're going to go from four naps to three naps to two naps, you know, so, Mm -hmm. but I'm also off. So I have some of the, you know, it really, you're right. It depends on the schedule. Right. And what your baby thrives on. Right. And he's already in a great routine. Totally. So you have that kind of, okay, well. He knows when it's time to go to, he knows, I have a whole setup. The whole aura vibe of his room is yes. totally set and ready for a crib. shades. She's got a Marpac dome. Got... <laughs> oh yeah, I... guys, we're in Albie's crib right now. <laughs> My crib, Albie's nursery. But yes, and I do carry those things around with me. Now I've gotten so confident that we've, um, that he's a good sleeper right now that we are able to we black out his stroller and we have a traveling sound machine. And so if I am on the go and can't move my schedule things around, he will take his nap. It's not as good no. and I don't want to do it all the time. But when I do, it's he yeah. knows. It's like he knows it's time. Exactly. Um, can co-sleeping be a part of sleep training? Are they mutually exclusive? Um, co-sleeping is another controversial topic. Mm. Um very (laughs) co-sleeping so you guys know means sleeping in the same bed as your parent Mm -hmm. as the mom or dad correct correct? or or and the baby blah blah blah. you get me (laughs) correct so again we go by what the american academy of pediatrics recommends and part of their rule of having the baby in your room till one year of age um, was to encourage you know the ease of breastfeeding and taking care of your baby and reducing the risk of SIDS co-sleeping with a newborn and a baby under a year of age is not safe. Mm. Um, So instead of co-sleeping, we want to think of it as room sharing, Mm. right? You can have a co-sleeper that's Mm. attached to the bed, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but you're not going to roll over onto the baby. Right. Um, Right. So it's really about reducing the risk of SIDS and that's something we can control um, because there's other things that we can't control like developmental periods and maybe something they're thinking about about SIDS is that it is biological. Mm-hmm. So we can't control that, but we can control all these external factors. Sure. So if I have a co-sleeping parent, if they're over one year of age and the baby and, you know, if, they're, if that's the setup they want to do, I can work with them, but I really try and encourage room sharing. And sometimes room sharing is a necessity because of another baby or, 
they live in New York Just and they're in an estate. apartment. Yeah, 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 of course. Um, so kind of working around, maybe they're in a studio apartment. I've done that too. I just took my first trip where Albie hasn't slept in my room in a long time. He's seven months old and he was in my room and I, every two minutes I heard a sound and I thought something was happening. It was yeah. insane. Yeah. Um, you say you do a two-week period with the family. Is mm-hmm. that how long sleep training typically takes? Um, again, it depends on the method, right? So the chair method will take up to 10 to 14 days just mm-hmm. in terms of your process of removing the room, leaving the room. With. Right. Right. Um, but that's not to say your baby might be sleeping way before that. You might sit there for five minutes and then leave by the All Right. It could be all done day. in two days, three days, right. five days. It's, wow, right. it's a case-by-case basis mm-hmm. of how long it typically mm-hmm. takes. And it also depends on how consistent the parents are. So consistency is a real, real big component because... Maybe there are a visitor comes, and I always say no visitors, no traveling, no this, no that. But things, life happens, right? Sure, you know, I sure. always get calls like, "Oh no, I messed up." Well, that's okay. Let's reset, right? right? It just might take a little bit longer. Right, right. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just arrived swim, cover ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles like the made to be seen, very sexy push up bra from the Very Sexy Collection in on trend hues like black shine, green, and citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
How do you wean a baby off of nighttime feedings in order to get a longer chunk stretch of sleep? Mm -hmm. So again, so the first feeding, we we want it after midnight. Right. Because their brain's going to develop if they go down at 7 p.m. and they sleep till midnight. That's a great five-hour developmental mm-hmm. chunk. Right. Okay. Um, and then you can do it a couple ways. You can push the time out. So let's say two nights in a row they made it to 1230. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tomorrow night let's try to make it 1245 or 1 o'clock. Okay. Um, so you can push it out that way. You can also reduce how much how much time-wise or ounces. That's what I did. Um, and kind of push it out that way, so they get it. Their stomach is less full, right? So they're not used to sleeping on a full stomach. That's what I did. So it took forever, but it was like what worked for me, which was I would pump, and then that bottle that w- would happen at one o'clock in the morning. It was five ounces, then four and a half for three nights, then four for three nights, then three and a half for three nights, then three <laughs> for three nights, then two and a half, then two, then gone. Exactly. Um, okay, great. Good job. Um, thank you. <laughs> I have, I'm not like a freak about sleeping, but I'm always like, he's not eating enough. Like there's this weird, you'll see like as moms, just every single thing is like anxiety Worry. induced. Yeah. I'm just like, it's like, I'm starving and he's not working. He's not eating. It's like, he's not eating at 1am and 4, and I had to do that. First I dropped the 4am feed. Then I dropped the 1am feed and then magically it happened. Um, and then I felt like a human being. Is nap training and sleep training same, different? Do you do the same thing at the same time? It's, uh, tell me. I typically like doing them both at the same time because sleep comes together much quicker that way. Because um, when you don't get good naps... Can you don't also, get good nighttime sleep. You can Are get, they directly related? They can, they can lead to nighttime wakings. No, thank you. So um, I do like working on them together. That doesn't mean... They can be. They also can be separated. So you can work on night. If you're going to do one first, you work on nighttime first because it's the easier of the two. Because naps are harder to come together because they're a lighter stage of sleep. Got it. So even when you're working on them together at the same time, naps still might be wonky a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, as the more practice you give your baby for napping, the more it will come together. What are the early I don't know mistakes that parents make with sleep training? Stopping too fast, saying it does, it's not working on day two. Oh gosh, I'm so that, that is me. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I ended mean, up I working out the end, but good thing, Adam. You know, I always feel like it takes a partner to be kind of stronger than the other to stick with it, not give in too soon, not just quit too early. So it's really perseverance and stamina and having a plan. Write it down, even if you're not working with someone, put a plan down on paper this is what I'm going to do on night one this is what I'm going to do on night oh, two that's really what I'm going to do. it's like putting down your your resolutions keeping yourself accountable tell right. somebody about it right takes a village guys takes. um so you had already mentioned this and this is big on me but what happens when you might have gotten a lot of these routines into place and then all of a sudden something does come up travel illness somebody's come to visit it just throws off everything and you kind of get through it and then you come back when you come back to it. Is that kind of the deal? Yep. You come back when you get back home. You pick things right back up where you left off. Um, waking them up in the morning mm-hmm. to reset their circadian rhythms if you've been traveling. Yeah, guys. Um, <laughs> I'm going on a trip and I am fully freaking out about the time difference because I have a great schedule going on and a great sleeping baby and I'm like, 
what am I doing? But see, I am of this person of like, I'm two ways. Like I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a hippie and down for like whatever. And it's my life and I want to live it mm-hmm. and I want to grab it by the cojones. But mm-hmm. I also am like, but he, we're on a schedule and he sleeps through the night. And like, what am I doing? He'll get back. It's a muscle. He knows it and he'll come back to it. And it's a personal choice. Yes. Like, you know, um, you basically just go back to whatever training method you had going great for you. From before. What do you suggest for people who, like you say, the partner's involved, nannies are involved, grandparents are involved, you know, any sort of other help? It's, I'm sure it's so important to get everybody on the same freaking page. Yes. Have your schedule laid out. Everything's got to be schedule, written down. If you're a schedule person, have your schedule laid out. Um, I had it printed down. all over <laughs> my trailer. Yeah. Because I had a lot of different... I, I, it took me a while to find a nanny I very much trusted. And so at the beginning it was my husband and it was friends who were also nannies when I was a nanny and people I really trusted because I was having a hard time leaving the baby alone. Mm-hmm. And I had to write everything down yeah. and um, really hope that everyone stuck to it. What are the common myths stigmas, all this stuff about sleep training that you want to dispel, Susie, right here, right now. <laughs> um, we talked about one already, that you're harming your baby if you let them cry. Thank you for telling me, because I even still worry. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm like, I think about those early days of like letting him cry for three minutes and just being like, because you know what? I just went away with my mother. God bless her. I love her so much. But I put the baby down. And he was whining and complaining for a couple minutes. Um, and my mom was horrified, like horrified that I let him do that. Um, and she'll be the first to admit, oh, Katie, I let you sleep in the bed for whatever. I never let you cry a day in your life, you know. And, and so we have differing opinions there. Um, but I have to admit, I totally caved and went in and got him and rocked him. And I like never <laughs> rock him to sleep. But like my mom felt the of- pressure and I felt the judgment of it. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're, you're totally right. We're on a family vacation. He's upset. He should never be upset. I'm a horrible mom. I'm hurting him. I went up and I rocked the baby. And he went to sleep in my arms and like, I don't ever do that. Yeah. So the smallest comment will make you do. Yep. The strange- I, for a stranger, I remember being in baby gap. And my little girl was taking a nap and I was like, all right, here comes her 45 minute sleep cycle. She starts crying. Grandma in front of me turns around and says, I think she needs to burp. Oh, you're like, and I'm like, how do you know? And I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'm like, my God damn it. I got to unbuckle her now and like pick her up. And I had, I did. And you did. I did. Oh my God. We don't even know this person. Oh, you guys being a mom is so weird and hard and a study in being strong on your own and sticking to your convictions. And oh my gosh, it's so insane. Um, So another one. Yes. What else would you like to dispel? That your only option is cry it out. That it's involved in like just letting your baby cry. Right. Right. So you're saying if that's something that just freaks you out, that doesn't mean that you necessarily can't still achieve getting some sort of sleep schedule in place. Right. And timing is a key component of it. Like you can get your baby down if the timing is right and you're processing their sleepy cues and getting all the things in line, that can go down without crying. Oh yeah. It might take a little bit, but I watch my baby like a hawk. As soon as I see like yawn one, two, three, 
I'm like, we That's... got nap, baby. We got nap, and I'm going to catch him before the breakdown happens. But, like, I know when I've crossed over into breakdown land where I missed, I was doing whatever, and I didn't see the cues of the rubbing eyes and the yawning and whatever, and now we're into full-blown bye-bye, and now I know it's going to be so much harder to get him down. Right. Um, this is so, so, so all interesting. And I think that that's very helpful to know for moms who might be super turned off by the stigma attached with crying it out or Mm -hmm. feel really upset about babies crying and and their own baby crying. But there are options, like you've said, the Ferber method. And what was the other one? (laughs) There's there's chair. Um, There's a sleep wave. There's hug it out. There's other one. Hug it out. We didn't talk about that. You at all. What's that? Um, So it's another gentle version. So you have a baby that's standing. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, they want no, the I haven't gotten there yet, guys. I am scared. Okay. It's, it's similar <laughs> to chair, but you don't pick up your baby, but you kind of go over and you just kind of like, I'm here. Hug. Yeah. And then I'm they'll here. slowly I'm like here. calm down with your calmness oh and they'll gosh. lie down. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I did hug it out with my daughter at some point when she was standing because she was she was sleeping very well. And then, you know, some developmental things, she got scared. So that's also a thing where you might have your sleep thing down and then all of a sudden rolling over is new. Four-month sleep regression is new. We're standing. Now we're pulling ourselves over the crib and we are MacGyvering and matrixing our way down the side of the crib. I'm yep. so scared for that to happen, yep. by the way. I'm like... That'll be another episode. Oh, good. <laughs> then I had a friend who, um, when her son got the big boy bed, he kept running out of his bed drunk with freedom and getting into their room every single night, like in the middle of the night, whenever he woke up and they put a gate up and then he would scream, cry through the night on the other side of the gate and say, I'm bleeding. I'm hurt. I need to change my shirt. I'm all wet. I mean, not true things. Right. And I just have a vision of my friend and her husband holding each other, sobbing to stay strong and not go because he had to walk his own self back to his big boy bed and put himself to sleep. Right. Oof, guys, this is not for the faint of heart. No. No. Being a parent, whatever method you choose, just getting through the night and everyone having sleep, it's safety, guys. Like there were moments you're driving behind a wheel of a car, you need sleep. Yes. So we've talked a little bit about the the benefits of sleep training for the baby um, developmentally, but also I'm sure you probably see huge leaps and bounds in in parents themselves when they get sleep. Yes, um, we're able when we get sleep, we're able to be more responsive to them versus being reactive. Because when I know when I don't get sleep, I'm snappy for sure, and I don't need to take it out on them just because they're having a tantrum over something and right. I blow up at them because right. I'm tired. Right. 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 So getting sleep in line, not only for them, but for you is really important. So you can parent better too. And get behind the wheel of a car. <laughs> behind the wheel of a car. <laughs> and drive them somewhere. Yes. Or just yourself. Yes. But yes. yes, it's, it's sleep is, I had never gone without sleep in my entire life. I had never, I mean, anytime I'd had like a crazy night all nighter in college to get a paper in or something, I would sleep the next day. Or any time those early 20 years where I partied really hard or whatever, I would sleep the next day. You didn't have to do anything. No. And when I brought my son home, I, for the first time my whole life, went three nights without sleep. And my husband said, I was saying crazy things, like literally crazy things. I was scared. Like I, I really enjoy sleeping. I like napping. I like my eight hours. And 
sleep was like all of a sudden the most important thing. And I'm so happy to know you. There are tons of different options with figuring out what a parent is comfortable with for themselves and for their baby and for their family. Exactly. But what we know is that sleep is muy importante. Yes. (laughs) And that's what I do too is building a relationship with the family to understand them. Sure. And, you know, are they working? Are they not working? Mm -hmm. Um, Who's taking care of the baby during the day? What type of schedules do we need? Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of putting it all together. Are they going to daycare? Are they going to preschool? Mm -hmm. Um, What do naps look like there? What are their philosophy? Kind of putting it all together for them so that they can have a plan of what to do when they do get home or maybe they're not getting home in time. So it's really tailoring it to your individual case. Mm -hmm. Susie Mankies, you are awesome. Healthy little sleepers, you guys. Um, Thank you so much for all of your time and your information. Thank you. And for talking about babies and sleeping. You're welcome. Mm It was a pleasure. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, you guys. I am so excited today because my dear friend Abigail Morgan is here and she 
is not only a very good friend, but she really helped me through a very rough time in my life after my miscarriage. Um, I It took me months to get a regular cycle back. It took me months to feel like myself again. Abigail was the person that stuck needles in me lovingly every single week. <laughs> I got pregnant and I also went to Abigail every week of my pregnancy and she visited me at home after I gave birth. Um, so not only is it like acupuncture, but you were a, a, a helper and spiritual help to me mentally, physically, pre-pregnancy, throughout my pregnancy, and after my pregnancy. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Explain a little bit about what you do, and then we'll we'll move into um, all of the awesome stuff you do to your with your own children because sure. you are a mother of two. I am. Yeah. So I'm a licensed acupuncturist and herbalist, mm -hmm. uh, board certified in traditional Chinese medicine in the state of California. So what that means is that I'm, uh, I have a master's degree in traditional Chinese medicine, in master's in science, and um, I am a primary care physician in California. So I have to diagnose using, you know, biomedical codes um, and let's say, you know, IBS or dysmenorrhea, painful periods or wow. you know, migraines, you whatever it is, um, and understand what that means from a Western perspective, but then also diagnose and treat according to Eastern medicine or traditional Chinese medicine. I specialize in reproductive health. So I have an additional board certification from the American Board of Oriental Reproductive Medicine in um, integrated reproductive health. And it is Float Chinese yeah, Medical Center. Float Chinese Medical Arts. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. Float Chinese Medical Arts. Yeah. And you, when you're not busy doing that, uh -huh. you are a mom of two. I am, yeah. And my they are kid, how old? My kids are seven and nine. Amazing. And they're, gosh, almost eight, almost 10. Great. Yeah. And I want to talk to you a lot about when we started to get close when we were working together throughout my pregnancy, I was, and still am, very fascinated in the way in which you raise your kids, which I think is great for this episode. And I would love to talk to you about how you raise them really, like through sleep, through food, mm -hmm. all of your, because I know you worked with attachment parenting, you had a family bed, and I'm fascinated by these mm. things because I've met your kids and they're awesome. So clearly the things you did were successful for you and your family. Um, can you talk to me how you came to the decision about a family bed and what is that exactly? Sure. Well, for me, um, I, I grew up in New York City. My parents were in the theater business. <laughs> They're very, I had a very unconventional upbringing. Uh -huh. um, and I, you know, I was, I felt like, well, I kind of grew up okay. I'm, I'm well adjusted. Like, what did they do? Right. And I didn't honestly know. Apparently, that I had a crib and everything. But my mom's like, yeah, but you were in our bed every night. Oh, and your brother was in our bed till he was six. Uh -huh. <laughs> so <laughs> I just thought, okay, well, that worked. And then I also had other people in my life who were doing family bed. Um, what is it? What is that? What does that mean? Basically, uh, bed sharing. There's okay. So there's room sharing and there's bed sharing. So right. now we know the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends room sharing as of 2016. Up until a minimum of six months, preferably a year. Wow, is how they guys. say it. So even if you have your baby in a crib, the AAP recommends that the crib is in your room. The crib be in the room. Now that's obviously not the right answer for everybody. Sure. But they came to that decision after a whole. My, my understanding is um, after a lot of pediatricians were reporting SIDS some and really, yeah, like SIDS, infant stuff. death from yeah. from kids from parents that weren't attentive to. Let's say they didn't have a monitor or, you know, they were relying sure. too much on it or sure. wearing noise canceling headphones or something. Sure. So, so that said, I felt that 
I just wanted to be close to my baby. I, I felt that it, it would be hard to get up out of bed and nurse. go into another room and take the baby out of the crib and nurse and put the baby back. Right. We also had a small two bedroom apartment at the time when I had my Logistically, first kid. that is Logistically, like... you know, it didn't feel like it made a whole lot of sense. The walls were, you know, it was like a 1960s building with paper thin walls. We would have heard right. the kid anyway. Right. And I just wanted to sleep as much as possible because I knew I'd be going back to work and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also read a book. I had to write down the title because mm-hmm. I, um, I, it, I haven't looked at it in so long, but it was called The Continuum, Con- the Continuum Concept by mm-hmm. Jean Leadloff from 1986. I read it probably in 1999 or 2000, um, way before I thought about having kids. And um, the it's a, it's a book by an anthropologist who went into essentially a pre-industrial society and looked at how these parents um, were all function parents. and they all wear their babies. So oh. then I looked into attachment parenting and I looked into how that's based on attachment theory. This is and all explain, way for Yes, kids. but explain to our listeners what yeah. exactly is attachment parenting because you know, there are a lot of these trigger words when you're a new mom or when you're pregnant that you hear, like sleep training, the cry it out method, mm-hmm. attachment parenting, a family bed, co-sleeping. These are all such triggering words that I think are like not... What's fascinating is that you've done some of them and, and can you explain what exactly attachment parenting is and yes, how it worked for you? I can. And I feel like I didn't fully explain the answer to your question about family bed. Yes, we will get that. So, yeah. So basically bed sharing is is parents or caregivers in the same bed as the baby. Room sharing is, the, maybe there's a sidecar mattress So you had on one floor. bed with you yeah. and your husband uh-huh. and your baby. Yes. And then when the second kid came around, we already had a what was called a sidecar, a small um, infant mattress on the floor, and our king bed was on the floor. Right next um, to it. Yeah. And so that, but then shortly after my second kid was born, they're two years apart. He was like, I'm out in my own room. <laughs> On his own. Like, oh, yeah. He was like, this is, you know, this waking up in the middle of the night, baby, infant stuff. Like, I'm over How it. Did <laughs> he just marched into like, his own room. About the, the fear that people have about, like, blankets, sheets, rolling uh-huh. over on your baby. How did mm-hmm. that just not happen? It doesn't happen. But <laughs> there are safe sleeping guidelines, yes. and your listeners can look them up from um, Dr. James McKenna. Mm-hmm. He actually wrote a great book called Sleeping With Your Baby, A Parent's Guide to Co-Sleeping. And so all of that is explained in that book. But, you know, the long and short of it is you don't have a lot of blankets. You don't have blankets over the baby. Right. It basically goes the breastfeeding parent uh-huh. uh, and, the, and the baby, some sort of bed rail or wall, uh-huh. baby, breastfeeding parent, and then other parent. Oh. So we actually, that's the best way to do it. That's actually not what we ended up doing. Your bed was in the middle of the, of the room. configuration of the, of the room. Right. Um, we had dad on one side, baby in the middle, and me. And we just... Baby didn't have our comforter over him. Right. We made a U shape with the comforter. Got it. Or we had two separate comforters depending on the time of year. You know, here we are in Los Angeles. Right. You don't really are so, sleeping with heavy, heavy stuff. Yeah, it's different than. And than so when I the baby would wake up and make sounds, you would just roll over and lay down, yep. breastfeed. Baby and... was right there. So the beauty, beauty of it is that you know, with Q feeding overnight, is baby goes, eh, 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 you know, and roots and. Even at eight weeks, self attaches, and I'm like, oh, I guess he's nursing. You wake up, and then you're done, and you go back to sleep. Wow. Yeah, so the the nursing hormones, the oxytocin, and all those feel-good hormones really help me as the breastfeeding mom to go back to sleep. Sure. And 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 then you do that in a safe way by not, you don't, obviously, there's a suffocation hazard if there's a big blanket over the baby. Of course. So we would have our own little baby blanket over him, or a sleep sack, or... Something you know, like that. Various things depending on the time of year. If it was warm, then baby would just be in a, a sleeper. 
without any blankets. And then when you gave birth to your second baby, mm -hmm. how did the bed look there? So <laughs> I find this so fascinating. Yeah. So at I, my toddler was still nursing. He I breastfed through my whole second pregnancy. Um, oh yeah, you guys. Abigail's the champion who tandem breastfed. Yes. FYI. Yeah. You ever heard of that? I did. That's two babies, one on each boob. Yeah. Not always at the same time, although they they were at the same time sometimes. Um, it was just the second pregnancy was not, uh, it, it took us by surprise. So <laughs> they were two years apart. So it's amazing. the older kid who was two when my the second one was born um, was at that time from 18 months, from his age, 18 months until baby two was born, he was sleeping in a sidecar arrangement. So he was on the floor in a small Organic baby mattress. Yeah, next to our bed. So we would put him down at his bedtime, 6.30 or 7 or whatever it was. And then we would go leave the room and go about our night. And then we would just go in and sleep in the family bed. And so when baby wow. two was born, um, and I had both kids at home. So baby number two was born. But my birth was super, super fast. The whole thing was about an hour. Um, oh my my husband had been Lord. putting my older kid to bed, the two-year-old, while I was realizing... Oh holy shit! I'm in labor. Oh my god! And then you know, an hour later, later the baby's born in the in the kitchen in a water birth. This was a planned home birth, I should say, with a with a nurse midwife. Um, so then the next morning, my son met the new baby, and he just kind of toddled out of his little sidecar bed. Um, I think I had slept in the couch pull out that night. Whatever sleep you was happened after giving birth, like superwoman. I can't oh, even. No. I can't even. It's just even. what made sense. I mean, and and so we, when shortly after you asked how the sleep yes. when number two was born, so she we co-slept with her, and um, in, and then after the first couple nights, it became clear. Okay, so toddler really needs to continue having this eleven hour straight sleep, which he had been getting, and um, and my husband needed sleep, and so. I slept in the twin bed in my son's room, which he hadn't even moved into yet. Right. This was our two-bedroom house. Right. We'd upgraded, but it was still only two bedrooms. Right. And so I slept in the twin bed with my daughter, the newborn, so that she could cue feed. That said, she would go three, four hours straight from newborn age, which, you know, you can't really let a newborn go more than four hours if you right. want to breastfeed. So I had to sometimes wake her. Um, but she was a totally different type of Kid. breastfeeder than, than her older brother was. Um, and they, they are, to this day, they eat in very different ways. They have different metabolisms. Wow. Um, where he was just, you know, like a hummingbird nursing <laughs> frequently. And she was like, oh, whatever, I'm like fast asleep. How did you... And then we all went into the family bed. Uh, I don't know, she was maybe a month old. I brought her back into the family bed. Right. And then my you guys son were in was the like, twin. I'm out. I want right, my own right, bed. Right, right, right. He you was know? two years old and he was like, he forget was two. this. He was like, I do not Mom's this. up every four hours or less. Yeah. And I don't even know if he knew that I was up because, you know, it's quiet. It's not like a, the child is screaming. Right, you right. You feed them when they're hungry. Right. Uh, but he just, I think that he was so completely appalled that there was another child who had joined the family. Right. He's like, I'm going to just pretend this isn't happening. Sure. <laughs> Go I need my, my own, own space. I need my own space. And so we gave that to him. How did you find, um, how is it on a relationship? You know, I think that Like I imagine in my head the cozy moments of like, you know, because I, I didn't do, Albi was, I was really, really sick after I gave birth. I had probably the worst cold and cough I've oh, God, ever had right, in my entire that. life. Um, and so Albie was sleeping in his crib outside of my room from day one, um, with a night nurse. And I really still romanticize the idea of like the whole family being in a bed and all of these things. But realistically, since you have done it 
for a long time you had a family bed. How does that look with your relationship, like with your husband? Is it like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm sure it looks different for every family. I know it does because I have a lot of friends and family members who've done family bed and many of them even longer than we did. So I'm just going to speak from my own experience. Mm -hmm. But um, it was amazing when my first one was born. I knew it. You know, (laughs) it, it really was. And this is a kid who physiologically needed to eat every 45 minutes to hour and a half until he was about a year old. That was just who he is. And he would get super full fast. This kid as a newborn could drain a breast in five minutes. Wow. And he was out cold. For you guys, like it would take That's me unusual. sometimes at the beginning, I would be breastfeeding for 35, 40 minutes. Yeah. For... And I, I remember asking my midwife who was also, you know, a lactation expert, like, what about 20 minutes per side? Isn't it supposed to, she's like, honey, watch the baby, not the clock. Right. And that was the best advice I got. Right. So, in the light of all of these repeated surges of oxytocin and the feel-good hormones that, you know, our brain has the, the pituitary gland, which is between our eyes and the forehead, secretes oxytocin, which stimulates uterine contractions. So that's part of what helps the uterus go back to its normal size after giving birth. Right. And also stimulates the prolactin comes from there too, stimulates the milk letdown. So every time you get that surge of oxytocin, the prolactin milk letdown, you know, it feels kind of like being high. You know, like I experimented a little bit in college. I mean, (laughs) I can just say it's, you know, it's a really heady or or like a post-orgasmic feeling, except it's not sexual. It's just really feeling So you're all in this bed feeling good. So swimming in the, you know, the the cocktail of of mother hormones. That's what you were feeling. And he was feeling it too. I also felt a lot of anxiety. Right. Um, My husband and I were talking about this the other day that he's like, do you remember when we could you drop a fork in the kitchen and we would panic because we thought he was going to wake up because he was such a light sleeper. Oh, I can't. I mean, I'm there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So the first time was, 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 was amazing, but it was also, it also was not without its challenges. Did you feel that you got quality? It sounds like you got quality sleep in this situation because you weren't having to get out of bed. I remember that to like yeah. go breastfeed. Like got, for you going back to work, it was all about logging the most amount of minutes possible to sleep, and that would mean having the baby right there next to you means you're not getting up out of bed to get the baby out of the crib. Yeah, to then and put it's the baby skin back to down. skin. It's better, you know, regulation of the breastfeeding mechanism. The you know the letdown reflex happens cl- sooner when your baby's right next to you. Um, and then baby wearing, which we did during the day. And this is um, all in regards to attachment parenting is what yeah. we're talking about. Can you explain a little bit about what that means? Yes, absolutely. Well, there's the eight principles of attachment parenting can be fi- found from attachmentparenting.org, mm-hmm. which is a not-for-profit organization. But basically, it's based on attachment theory, which goes way, way back. But um, it's the, the psychological model that describes relationships between humans. And Mm -hmm. attachment theory is now the primary, the dominant theory used in child development, um, in infant and toddler mental health. This is what psychotherapists use. It's called attachment theory. theory. Um, And so we look at it in the West in terms of the dyad, like the mother-infant dyad, but um, really we need to look at the whole world and see that in most cultures, it's not a nuclear family. Right. 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 We're kind of forgive me, we're kind of fucked in that way in this world. Right. Because this whole idea of it's like one or two parents raising kids. Is not, you guys, takes a village. village. It really, really is true. Yes, yes, And um, so attachment attachment parenting looks at um, being the, A, having a primary caregiver, which usually ends up being the the mother who gave birth, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. I had a good friend whose wife went back to work at Disney as a producer, like, 
six weeks after giving birth and he was he was they were attached from parenting so she would they co-slept and but he was the that's you know amazing. the baby wearing dad and he was at the park with us and that's awesome. all of that and so it doesn't have to be just a mom and so it doesn't have to be a biological mom basically means like that the baby is always close to you in proximity yeah always and most of the time so baby wearing allows you to kind of go about your day while having the baby close to you baby would for me baby would sleep on me we baby wore i had like 14 different baby carriers um and so some in the beginning were more appropriate to an infant and then as the baby some older yeah and then once i had you know i got pregnant i was wearing him more on my back um and then co-sleeping or bed sharing you are uh, q feeding wow and okay so explain q feeding this Mm -hmm. is also a whole thing and then i want to get into a little bit about how you naturally got your babies sort of on a schedule on their own yeah and because you did end up going you went back to work yeah after the first kid i went back to work about three and a half months Mm -hmm. after giving birth but i you know i'm my own business owner so i wasn't going back to work in the nine to six corporate office with an hour commute each way right i you were having your own hours that you do that So you practice co-sleeping, attachment parenting. Mm-hmm. You yeah. would wear that. You would sleep with the baby on you for naps in your bed at night, and then you would wear him and her yeah. as you did stuff but throughout the day. I should point out when my husband, my husband was the primary caregiver. On when I went back to work, he would do the baby wearing, and on the weekends we both would. And then when we had a babysitter, they would wear the baby. Did you find there to be any sort of huge separation that happened or does the baby just decide like mom I don't want to be warm like you know when mm-hmm. they start to be really separate oh yeah what they does tell that you. look like they oh they tell you, you. see yeah yeah you, you, it's it's clear you know it, basically I feel that it's important to look at the brain and brain development and so when attachment theory looks at how an infant responds when they are separated from their primary caregiver Right, and so in in Africa, in um, certain countries that are we might call pre pre industrial, you know, sure. where they still have um, the I can't I'm spacing on the word for it, but there's multiple mothers in the village. I saw them. this. Still yeah, goes yeah. on in many parts of, of course, the world. Of course, of course, it does. This idea of um, solitary sleep is less than a hundred years old. Whoa. So to kind of just put that in perspective, Whoa. if you think of how long we've been around as a human race. So if a child is separated by themselves in the dark, scared, that goes into, um, you know, what's called our implicit memory. Mm. So they look at it. This is more of a Dr. Dan Siegel, who's a psychotherapist and um, neurobiologist um, here in California. But um, looking at how, how the brain works, the amygdala, the hippocampus, the parts of brain that store our raw sensory memory Mm -hmm. this is the stuff that's you know pre-verbal but if you let's say a child is attacked by a bear you know just because they're three months doesn't mean they're not going to remember it right because it goes into implicit memory it goes in there somewhere of course right and so the same thing happens when a child is you know by themselves alone yeah and and so the idea is not to never leave your child alone but with attachment parenting, we are they, You're really looking for their cues of when they are ready. Like you carried this baby mm-hmm. inside of you when they were not alone for 10 months and now the baby's outside of you and you keep them close and they will make it clear with and when they are ready for any sort of distance. Is that sort of the Well, yes, but also when the mom or the dad or the parents are ready Have for to go distance, to work. <laughs> exactly, for whatever it is, you know, there's a, there's a soothing approach so that the child is associating going to sleep with being safe. Right. If the child associates going to sleep with being in a state of terror and fear, then you can bet that kid's going to have problems later on in life with those implicit memories. 
goddess. So I saw that a lot because I worked with moms for so long before I became a parent. Mm -hmm. And and I saw that and I just didn't want that. You knew in your heart that that was not, like you were never going to be, for example, this whole cry it out method or letting babies really cry when they go to sleep. Fundamentally and psychologically to you, that didn't sit right. To me and my husband. And we talked about it quite a lot, especially in pregnancy. You just knew that you were going to always put your baby to sleep in a state of comfort and peace and yeah, that safety. Was, and... That was the idea. And then when eventually I night weaned my, my oldest child when he was about 17 months, we used the Dr. Jay Gordon, who's a pediatrician on, in, on the west side of, of California, Santa Monica rather, west side yeah. of LA. West side um, of California. All of California <laughs> is the west side, but yes. So what did yes. you say? And, um, and that approach is picking a seven-hour chunk because the definition of sleeping through the night is about seven hours mm-hmm. um, you know, for a child under about a year. And he says, do not use this method under like 12 to 14 months. Okay. But we picked a seven hour chunk because I was just tired of nursing all night through my pregnancy, honestly. Like that point. Who 16, are you? 17 like, months I old. literally do not. I, I'm sitting here, you guys. I'm probably the most quiet I've ever been in any of the podcasts because my <laughs> mouth is on the floor just agape at like, and that you look pretty and you're like well rested and you did all of this. I just can't even imagine it. Okay, so. Well, they do eventually sleep. But yeah, the <laughs> idea was pick a seven hour chunk and he says, you know, 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and when instead of, it's gradual, but it, it for us it took about a week and we did it with both kids. What but, did you so do? instead of nursing to sleep, you breastfeed and then after 11 p.m. you don't breastfeed at all. And so you do shushing and patting their back, but it's still within the family bed. So this approach is fantastic if you're doing family bed, but you want to, you're ready to night wean your kid. Right, because you're making them still overnight. feel safe and comforted, yes. but not through food and nursing anymore. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be the, quote, primary parent. It doesn't have to be the mom, as long as everybody's on the same page and you're really clear on your guidelines. So when did you start to see a schedule I'm assuming it started to naturally form yeah. because then you went back to work and I know that your baby was cared for by your husband and then also at daycare and things like that. Like how did you continue this sort of methodology with really basically being sort of on demand and taking things off of cues of your baby Mm -hmm. um, when other people are involved? Right. Well, we did daycare. Daycare didn't start till 18 months. So I didn't have the experience of infant daycare, which I, I know a lot of people who have, but I went back to work three days a week and two days my husband was on was the primary parent and then one day we had a, a and you guys completely saw hours. eye to eye like he could do it no problem yeah we did and we still do and he would God. just feed a bottle uh, yeah before so naps the idea or... with cue feeding is that whether you're bottle feeding or you're breastfeeding if you have listeners who really tried to breastfeed but can't you can absolutely still do cue feeding sure whether it's with breast milk your own breast milk that's pumped donor milk formula whatever it is it's food and cue you feeding know. is basically like you think they're hungry, they're expressing that they're hungry, yeah. you feed them. Yeah, you learn their cues pretty quickly, just like you do with, with when they need to poop, mm-hmm. which is a whole other conversation, maybe for <laughs> another episode. But um, so I went back to work at three and a half months after baby number one was born. And um, at that point, he had really, around, I think about three months, he settled into a pretty predictable pattern yeah. of, of breastfeeding, of sleep. And, and I believe rhythm and routine are so important. Um, I love that sort of Waldorf approach of rhythm and routine. Um, of, you know, or Rudolf Steiner, of, of babies love routine. It can be, you know, looking at the baby's cues, just like I explained my first kid and my second kid, totally different metabolisms. Right. You know, one needed to eat, eat every hour and, and the other one could, could totally go four go for hours. A while, right? By six months was going like much, much longer. So, um, so we would watch their cues and then if it was a caregiver there, they would give a bottle of breast milk. 
um, and then you know often wear the baby or or bounce on a ball and put them down to sleep in their bed and then go about their business. Um, and so I you were at a daycare and they weren't on a set schedule, for example, like they weren't saying like, we do nap time here from oh, one yeah, to two. Oh yeah, but daycare wasn't until 18 months. Okay. So yeah, by that so time the baby was set. Yeah. A one of... and a half year old. Yeah. We, he was, I mean, by the time he started daycare, he was probably waking up once a night, maybe twice a night to nurse. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's actually because we night weaned 17, 18 months. So he was waking more frequently, but basically the full t- three full days a week of daycare when that started um, was about the time he was sleeping straight through the night, 11 hours straight. So no, they had a set nap time, you know, one to 2.30. And I, I said, how the heck are you gonna get 14 kids to nap at the same time? And they said, oh, we just, it, it happens. And you wow. know, they, they're incredibly loving and they sit there and they pat their backs and then the, it's contagious. All the kids are in yeah, one room. Yeah, once one or two they go, sound they machine. all start to go. Yeah, Turn on they, that white noise. <laughs> exactly, and I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my God. Wow. So. Um, what did, have you found to be the benefits of co-sleeping? So the advantages are basically from when they night weaned, stopped nursing overnight, but continued nursing during the day, um, they, they have not had any sleep regressions at all. Wow. And so uh, and they, they have positive associations with sleep. They're, they sleep. They're not afraid they of it. The they're they not need. getting in a dark room and freaking no, out. Or... The biggest issue now is, but mom, I'm not done with this chapter. They want to keep reading. And we have a firm lights out, you know, rule. And I know, I know you want to keep reading. So I really take an empathy-based approach to parenting. And that just grows with them. You know, now they're in second and fourth grade and their sleep is absolutely crucial. So if anything, it's they don't want to go to bed soon enough. Even if they're still like in bed at 730, that's a hard out for us. But they may be reading for an hour and a half. And so, you know, we have to turn They're off the light. They're in bed at 7.30 mm-hmm. and then they go to sleep at 9. They might read till well, 9. Well, I mean, my daughter's out by 8.15 most nights. But my son will push it as late, late as we Can are. I be your kid? This is unbelievable. <laughs> like, that sounds Well, they have to be up at 6.30 delicious. for school. So, yeah. And I'm in bed by 9.30. Wow. I treat a lot of insomnia in my practice. And a lot of the adults I work with did not have healthy sleep hygiene as kids. And so I think sleep hygiene, you know, however that's defined, it looks different for every family, is, is super important for setting us up as adults because the brain is so malleable. You know, it's not fully myelinated until age seven. Um, what advice would you give to parents um, who might be looking into making a choice like this? The number one piece of advice I would give is trust your instinct. Trust your intuition because it's never wrong. Mm. And if you are married and you're because a lot of the people I work with are going about this alone, Mm. um, single moms by choice. But if you, with your partner or the person that you're deciding to raise your kids with, Mm. make sure that you talk about all these questions first. Not all of them, but many of them. How, what do you want parenting to look like? Right. Um, Did you do that with your husband? I did. Like you guys yeah. knew while you were pregnant, you had spoken about a family bed and attachment parenting and you had read books and done yeah. all that kind of thing. I mean, it, it was kind of hilarious. My, my mother-in-law, God bless her, threw me a baby shower with a whole bunch of her friends that I had never met. And before <laughs> this, she said, so what's the nursery? Like, what is your color theme? You know? And I said, well, we, we're not going to have a nursery because we have a two bedroom apartment. And one of them, one of the bedrooms was our office. office. Right. And, um, and the other was our bedroom. And, and so we were, she's like, okay, well, you know, are you going to find out the, the gender? I'm like, well, we're not going to find out gender because there's no test for gender <laughs> in utero. But we elected not to choose to find out the sex for my first. So we didn't know. So I literally got like 30 fantastic gifts that were all pink or green. 
<sighs> and um, and my my mother-in-law knit this adorable white baby blanket for my son with a Raider patch on it because my husband's a huge Raider fan. <laughs> she was like, <laughs> she's determined to have something in there. Something. So she's like, if I can't have a pick color, I you can know? have a blanket with a Raider emblem she's on it. So I love her. Um, yeah. So the real thing, it's trust your instinct, trust which your is instinct it's wonderful that I'm informed. sitting here listening to you because I, I am such a Libra in that. Yeah, or you maybe and me both. I, yes, I'm just like very good at weighing out. Like I, I love being a part of this podcast because I love hearing how people do things, mm -hmm. and I also really am able to see weigh things out. And so for me, instinctually, it can get hard because I'm like, well, I'm feeling this, but maybe it's that, but maybe it's this, but yeah. maybe it's that. Yeah. Ugh. You know, it's it's so good that you say that because as a Libra, I, I have same thing. I'm always wanting to know the yin and the yang of things, the right. plus and the minus, the cost-benefit ratio. Right. You know? Totally. The and pros so, and cons list, baby. Exactly. And for a new parent or, you know, maybe a, a parent who had a kid nine, ten years ago and is going to be doing it all over again and mm -hmm. thinking maybe I'll do things different, you know, go to the library, get books, just it's the, the... Yeah, you guys, FYI, Abigail's brought up so many amazing points in this podcast that will all be listed in the crib notes. Yes, okay. absolutely. And just, I think, follow your instinct and follow your, your inclination to learn more about something. And ultimately, you are the expert about your baby. Right. Nobody else is. And it, it, it for me, resisting the mommy wars brought on a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. I felt judged whether or not I was actually being judged. I would feel anxious. Am I doing what's best for my kid? Mm -hmm. Can I be any better? But mm -hmm. I've learned now, almost 10 years into this, to just to surrender and let it go and detach with love mm -hmm. and find acceptance with that uncertainty because ultimately, you know, we really can't control our kids. Uh, we can set nope. healthy boundaries. I can try, yeah, but no. Absolutely. <laughs> we can set healthy boundaries and, you know, have a really good rhythm and routine in our day and all that. And, and, um, and then ultimately, I think, I truly think a lot of the personality just come into the world with it. Oh, for um, sure. I mean, God bless I've my mom. I've babysat enough kids oh, in this yeah. town to know that a lot of them just kind of came out who they were. It's they, really weird. They absolutely did. Yeah. I, uh, my mom and dad read this book by T. Barry Brazelton, who just passed away at age 99 a couple months ago. Um, and he's, you know, a world famous guy. But he was like the pediatrician in the post-Spock era who was started talking about this attachment theory and all that. And my parents, my mom was like, I don't know, it just made so much sense. And it was totally different what her from what her parents had done with right. their six children. Um, nope. And that was, but I saw that, I saw, she's like, she found a book, it lit a fire. You know, she didn't, she said she felt like the, the only person in the world who'd ever had a baby. <laughs> she was an actress in New York. None of her friends had kids. Right. So I, I, I took a cue from my mom, I think, and just following, following my instinct, learning more about it, and then ultimately just letting it go and, and you know. Reading your baby and getting to know your baby yeah. and trusting that you know what's best for him. And yeah. And sometimes I, I was on the floor hysterically crying, you know? I mean, that's the reality of it. Well, Parenting I think no matter messy. what you choose, whichever yeah. ways, and be, just because you choose something one day doesn't mean you can't change your mind another oh, day also, absolutely. by the way. Just, but at some point, you're yeah. all going to be crying on the floor, yes. and at some point, you're all going to be laughing your asses off, and that's just seems to be motherhood. It is. <laughs> and whether it's a biological child or an adopted child or, you know, a grandchild or whatever, it's that same dynamic. It's, For sure. You have to just surrender into that powerlessness, I think. I was actually just away with Albie and we had him nap in the bed with us for fun. And I felt like I couldn't really like get 
into a comfortable position. Honestly, like I, I was like, what about the blankets? I know we've already talked about this, but is that just something in time that you sort of figure out the best way position wise to sleep with your baby in the bed? Or was there something that you know works every time that's like written in a book? Um, well, you know, I, I will refer you back to the, the Dr. James McKenna guidelines for safe co-sleeping because mm-hmm. he gives good guidelines in general for everybody, but, um, and to avoid SIDS and, mm-hmm. and all of that. But I think what I tell my patients too, especially if they're dealing with insomnia and the new baby is find whatever's comfortable for you first, exclusive of the baby. I personally am a side sleeper. I've always slept on my left side. That's okay. how I sleep. Except my mom says when I was a baby, I slept on my tummy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, find your pillow blanket combo on the mattress and then figure out how baby can work around that in a safe way so that, for example, with me, I would tuck the blanket under my leg so it wasn't anywhere near baby. Um, And it also has to be a firm mattress. Mm. We can't be dealing with a mushy mattress here or Mm. a big cushy mattress cover. Mm -hmm. Those those don't fit the safe co-sleeping guidelines. So we had a super firm mattress, which is what we liked anyway. So find where your comfortable spot is. And then if that's, it, it kind of is easiest on the side because this is all keeping in mind that I learned how to nurse on my side right. very early. Once the baby I think has you taught control. me how to nurse on my side, yeah, actually. Yeah, I remember Abigail that. came over to do a postpartum um, tune-up acupuncture session. And she was like, oh, you can just lay right here and put the baby right here. And I was like you can lay down and nurse. I only thought in the hospital, I had only learned that there was a football hold or the cradle hold. Right. I had no, oh, no. clue There's you could so like many lay down holes. a nurse. So yeah. you would be sleeping on the side. You get comfortable and figure out how the baby works into that because yeah. if you're sleeping well and mm-hmm. comfortably, so is the baby. Right. And I basically lined up baby nose to nipple or he was a little bit lower. Uh-huh. Um, and that was what was comfortable for me. Babies are very resilient. They will pretty much sleep anywhere. And so the advantage of bed sharing was that, you know, we did travel to see family or we went on vacation or we were in a hotel or whatever. And it would always do the same for and the baby. And it would just, the baby would just sleep where we slept, you know? And, and this whole idea of a lot of people think, oh, family bed means you go to bed when the kid goes to bed. No. You know, when he, they were really little, bedtime was six o'clock. Sure. We would put the big kid down to six o'clock and then I would like rush to do laundry and make dinner and all of that stuff. The, the dirty secret of parenting is that that window narrows, you know, and then you end up with so much less I time. I cannot. But right now, Ali goes to sleep at 7, and yeah. I really my 7 to 10 window yeah. is, like, huge for me right exactly. now. Exactly. I remember Especially it's, that. like, you know, when I see my husband and, like, right. when I have, a like five glasses right. of wine yeah. or whatever. Like. Well, the other thing is you get creative with where you are intimate with your partner. You know, I mean, I, I it's not just me. Imagine. I've talked to other people. Yeah, about no, this. you have to, especially when you have the second kid. You have and after to. the second kid comes, you know, it's super important not to lose that intimacy in that one-on-one time. Date night became crucial. This has been so eye-opening and so wonderful. And you are, I'm just so happy to be sitting with you in my crib on my couch. Um, we both fit. You're the best. <laughs> you're just the best. And thank you so much for all of your wise words and advice and personal experience. Um, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Katie's Crib. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends, tell your mom's friends, tell your mom's 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 friends. You get it. I do.